It's time for Black and White, a show that wants to bring all of us together talking again. It's time to hear from people who only want to deal with facts. It's time for you to re-engage in America. It's time for Dan and Daryl. Welcome back to Black and White. And joining us today is a gentleman who's been on our show a couple of times before, John O'Connor, an attorney out of uh, San Francisco. You're still out of San Francisco, John? I am. Okay. He's famous for the work that he did in the Watergate hearings, and um, and he had some very has some very interesting perspective of how the media worked in the Watergate hearings. And I invited him on because the bulk of what we're going to talk about today is his observations about what the media has done vis-a-vis the Hunter laptop. And so, John, welcome back to the program. Well, good to be with you, Dan. So, remind the audience of your experience with Watergate. Well, when I was an assistant U.S. attorney in San Francisco, I got very interested in who Deep Throat was after Woodward and Bernstein's book, because I thought it probably was a Justice Department employee where I was employed, and that I was hoping and thinking that Deep Throat was a curative process, a curative part of the process, that is to say, a self-correcting bureaucracy. And I was right on that. Within a couple of years, I pinned the whole thing on Mark Felt, the number two man of the FBI. It wasn't until 25 years later that I met Mark. I met his grandson, or I had known his grandson. I didn't know who his grandfather was. And when I did that, I said, Nick, your grandfather's deep throat. Do you know that? Can I come up and talk to him? I think I know how to talk him into coming out and why he's a hero. So that started my my, uh, work on this. And then, of course, I spent a lot of time interacting with the Washington Post, calling Woodward, trying to deal with the Post. Long and short of it is I did some, I got into more research. I was always a big fan of the Post. And after researching, I realized that the Post had omitted much of the truth about Watergate, which turned the uh, story completely on its head. The story they published was completely uh, wrong and deliberately so. And that's why I wrote the book Postgate, which is about this. Postgate proves the Post fraud. Now, it was omission that did everything. If, if I'm selling you a piece of property, you ask me if it has water on the back 40, and I say, it's got plenty of water. I know you want to grow alfalfa, but I neglect to tell you that the water is has toxins in it. I've committed fraud. Right. Now, the straight line, and I claim that this reporting would sensationalize, quote, investigative reporting, which is really prosecutorial reporting, that that which sensationalized it and made journalism about investigative impact, not the truth of both sides, but the impact, the same way a lawyer could do it if he were going into court alone, let's make some impact so I can get money from a jury without an opponent. Now, let me draw a straight line from Watergate. And I claim that it was Watergate and all the attention to investigative journalism that lionized these folks and made them celebrities. Everybody now wants to be behind the velvet rope. They're celebrities, they're cool, they're heroes. They're not truth tellers. So now if you draw a straight line, Dan, between Watergate and the omissions of Watergate, and things got worse and worse in the media over time, I think we all recognize that. Whereas now today, when you have a laptop of the son of a man running for president, it comes out and there are direct statements on the laptop implicating not only his, the son in corruption, but that his father is splitting the fees from the corruption. And that is not published. 
that is deplatformed. That is hidden. Uh, it is omitted. There is a conspiracy of covering up. Here, Watergate was about supposedly uncovering everything. Oh, let the truth, let the sun shine in. Now we are covering up a very important story. Now, in answer to the critics who might say, well, O'Connor, uh, 51 intelligence agents, former intelligence agents, said that this might be Russian disinformation. Of course, it's absurd on its face. Uh, how, do you, how, do, how, how does Russia get into Hunter's private pictures and how does it recreate 10,000 emails? But putting that aside, putting that aside, this is a live issue that should have been discussed in the public. If somebody says this is disinformation, that's exactly what the public is there for. We're the jury of public opinion. Right. But what happens is here, we go back to the Middle Ages now, thanks to the Post, where you had to, before you had to print something, the Pope had to put his imprimatur on it, let it be printed. Now what we have is we're going back to the Middle Ages where the elites, the kings, the princes, the bishops, the priests are controlling what we can hear and think. And they are telling us what doctrine is. So that is where we are. And the bigger story of the Hunter Biden laptop is of course not even that our president is likely compromised in important foreign policy as we watch people, by the way, get slaughtered in Ukraine and watch uh, China encircle Taiwan. But the more important problem is how long is this gonna go on with our media where they are at the point where they feel they can censor um, important matters of public uh, uh, discussion should be. And we're talking now not just about the Post and the Times and ABC, NBC and so forth, MSNBC, but also Twitter and Facebook. Right. Now, cut off even even social media tweets or republishing. So where we are, Dan, is a terrible place. The Washington Post says it best on their masthead every day. Democracy dies in darkness. That's why I wrote Postkey. Democracy dies in darkness. And if they're keeping us into the dark, they're killing democracy by their own admission. So that's my that's the, that's the opening statement for you, Dan, as to why okay. this Hunter Biden laptop has significance far beyond even the tremendous significance in and of itself of the Biden family. Uh, John, uh, thank you for that. It was very insightful. I, I am a student of history, um, uh, more the Civil War than any other part of our, our country. But I, I, I go back, I've spent, spent some time looking at the Revolutionary War and the Revolution and what the Founding Fathers were trying to do. And they created three co-equal branches of the government, the executive, the legislature, and, and the judiciary. But they encouraged a fourth branch called the fourth estate, which was the media. And they hoped that the media would be a check against the three other branches of the government to help the American people understand if there was corruption or things were going on that they needed to know. And, and they had to change the government. And, and do you really think that this creation of the idea of of fake news, manipulated stories, and the eliteness of some of the people in the press started with Watergate. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Let's think of it this way, Dan. The, um, this was the most powerful country on earth, far and away, it was the American century. 
a president that had just been reelected with 49 states and the press, one paper with one story, with one series of stories, drove him out of office and profoundly changed our nation's history. So I'll go back to your constitutional uh, statement, which is very, very wise and learned. And the founding fathers said, as James Madison said, uh, liberty is to factionalism as oxygen is to fire. Liberty feeds factionalism. What was the remedy for factionalism and mob mobocracy? It was a free press. In those days, you'd go out on the streets in Boston or Philadelphia, and there might be 10, 15, 20 newspapers as people are hawking them back and forth. So the founding fathers felt, well, somehow the democratic process, not every paper will say the same thing, but people will be able to decide and will take the edges off of factionalism as we see the truth. Now what's happening, oddly enough, in an age of the internet where you have blizzards that turn into avalanches of information, now we're back to 1490 where there weren't printing presses and so forth, and you have a few people controlling information. So what we've got is a situation in which all the fears of factionalism are now being uh, realized and we don't have a free and fair press to do anything about it. And that is the big problem uh, uh, that you point out here. The fourth estate is now not doing its job and it's the most severe crisis we have because it subsumes all other problems, you name it, from, uh, from election problems in democracy to this thing about Hunter Biden to you name it, to Russiagate, uh, a free and fair press would have cut out these lynch mobs that were running around. We would have had a decent discussion about things. John, we have to take a commercial break, but we'll be right back with, with John Connors. Fascinating conversation. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Dan Perkins, co-host of Black and White Network, here to tell you about my latest book, Sad Eyes. This is a story of Mary Margaret Murphy, our red-haired, green-eyed, gorgeous Irish lass born in Waterloo, Iowa in 1916. Incredibly capable and talented woman who wants to make the world a better place. She knew at a very early age she didn't want to live in Waterloo, but she knew what she wanted to do and she wanted to be a nurse. She did her homework and found the best place to learn to be a nurse was in Chicago, Illinois. Side Eyes is her adventure, growing and maturing in the face of adversity to become a very powerful voice in the American military during World War II. But it's also about her personal life and finding the love of her life for a fleeting moment. Sad Eyes is available at hollismedia.net, amazon.com, and Barnes and & Noble, and through your local bookstore. Enjoy the read. We are talking with uh, a wonderful man who uh, has tremendous opinions and tremendous resources and a life of experience, uh, John O'Connor, who's an attorney and uh, cut his teeth on Watergate, and uh, we we would started talking a little bit about what's going on with Hunter Biden. Now we we have a, a very unusual situation, John. Um, we have a situation where the Democrats are in control of the House and the Senate, having expressed really no interest in the Hunter Biden laptop. The news media, all of the major media. And the leaders in the the New York Times and the Washington Post uh, said it was uh, you know it was Russian fake and everything. And now they've come about and said no, it is real. So 
but we're not going to see any action out of the sitting House Democrats to do anything about what's going on here. But if the Republicans gain control of the House and the Senate, would you expect a, uh, an investigation? Oh, yes. I, I will definitely bet on an investigation. And and they it will have to be covered because it is news. Now, of course, you'll have CNN and MSNBC trying to downplay it along with the Post and uh, the Times, and they'll try to say this is nothing more than partisan. But let me give you a comparison between Watergate and this corruption. Okay. The, the reason that Watergate stuck into the public's craw and made it an important scandal was because of the um, realization, the sense of the public that this was a corruption of the of the electoral process. That is to say, one party was trying to sabotage another through spying and sabotage. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, then then in the democratic process of figuring out what had happened in the investigations, you know, the White House supposedly lied about it and there were some acts of obstruction. However, of course, in truth, that's not what happened. Uh, it wasn't about campaigns and the White House had no knowledge of what was going on, Dan, but let's assume for purposes of argument that the traditional story of Watergate is, is true. I've written Postgate, it's not true. The Post covered it up, but let's say it is true. Still, we're talking about uh, a burglary of a campaign arm of another party that didn't get anything. And it was a silly one, if you even accept the conventional story, which I do not. But compare that. And now what happens? Well, maybe a few votes might have been changed if, if this were successful, but nothing really happened. Nobody would say there's any effect. And it was all in everybody's mind. It was a silly stunt. They couldn't figure it out why, why they would do it. The reason that it was that seemed silly was because Nixon wouldn't have done it because it made no sense. There was no campaign information to be had. Now let's now talk about our present situation. Now we have a situation in which it is very clear that the vice president is going around with his son in tow and the son is making deals with corrupt foreign leaders. And the only possible thing he could be selling is influence in two areas, if not more, there are other areas besides China and Ukraine, but in the, at least in those two areas, they are very important geostrategic areas, as we know today, the two most dangerous things in the world going on are the encirclement of Taiwan and the slaughter of Ukrainians. And yet, corruption infects every pore of these two areas. It's manifest, it's obvious, it's obvious even if we didn't have Hunter Biden's laptop, um, it's called circumstantial evidence. Uh, you know, you don't have to be, as the weatherman used to say, you don't have to be a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. Right. And this is exactly, I guess Bob Dylan said that, but this is the situation. Now we have concrete proof. We have Hunter Biden, probably inebriated at the time, but nonetheless admitting that he pays half his fees to his father. There's other evidence of Hunter paying bills of his, of his father as if that's expected. Uh, he got a refund check. And uh, I think... Uh, the father got a refund check, check that went to Hunter, probably, probably one infers because Hunter probably paid the taxes. <laughs> you know, so we have a situation that is terrible. And yet, as obvious as it is, 
as clear as it is, far clearer than Watergate, the great watchdog press that talks about how wonderful they are. They're just the most wonderful investigative reporters known to man. And then you go to journalism school and they all pat themselves on the back to such an extent their rotator cuffs are strained. And yet they can't cover this. They cannot cover this. That is amazing, Dan. How can we have a democracy? I mean, I would be saying the same thing if it, if it was about Republicans, people doing this with Republican stuff. Now, that <laughs> doesn't happen in the modern time, but if it did, it would be just as bad. Uh, this is, should not be partisan. It should be the way our system works, that we have sunlight is the best disinfectant, and yet we don't have sunlight here, do we? We have a press that even today, after the Post and the Times belatedly acknowledged uh, the authenticity of the laptop, they're now saying, oh, the, this really didn't interest me much. It's not that big a deal. Oh, so it's a son out there trading on his name. That's nothing unusual. A lot of, a lot of important people trade on their family names. This isn't, it's a little more than hanging out a law shingle and you have an important father and you get business because of that. That's not what this is. This is about directly flying in on Air Force Two with the president in a very important uh, tinderboxes around the world. Now, let me ask you this, Dan. This is common sense. People understand cases through common sense and their experience. Uh, a wife always knows the little clues of why her husband's not being a good boy. They understand that. But in this situation, you've got to say, well, most people aren't don't understand the way this stuff works. I'll, I'll put this question to you as a common sense, one common sense person to another. If you are a corrupt person running a government in Ukraine, if you're a corrupt oligarch, if you're a corrupt oligarch or government official in China, are you going to just dish out money without any assurance that it's going to get you something? Of course not. Are you a fool? These people are not fools. Are we saying that Ukrainian oligarchs who deal in corruption every day are going to go out and pay Hunter Biden money month after month, year after year, with no reasonable expectation of return on their money? No. At the same time, Hunter is pitching these folks. His father is talking to officials. Now, you would think, and it would be pretty much obvious, that somehow people would be looking for some sign that Hunter is <laughs> has influence with his father. And we know that was given. I mean, it's common sense. You don't need to actually see the straying husband and the wife, actually what happens behind the hotel room. You need to know that they checked in at the hotel. And these two are checking in at the hotel. We know what's going on. And so uh, this is obvious and it should be investigated. And it's too bad when this great investigative journalistic uh, journalism industry, so to speak, is saying, oh, no, oh, no. And here's my final thoughts to you for this section. I know I'm motoring on, Dan. That's okay. But, but the power to hype, as in Watergate, is also the power to suppress. If you say there's nothing going on here, you don't publish anything, you don't make a big deal of it, most people think, well, there must not be anything here because nobody's yelling and screaming. So when Barack Obama leaves office, he says, I had the most scandal-free uh, administration in history. And you know something? He's right if you define a scandal as to what the press is saying. <laughs> Nobody raised anything, no matter how corrupt Hillary Clinton was as the Secretary of State, or no matter how much Susan Rice lied 
about Benghazi, so forth and so on, or Eric Holder lied about Fast and Furious. So what we have is we have selective prosecution here. We have a selective media, and that just doesn't cut it. And that's the problem that we see today. I want to ask you uh, another question to draw on your legal experience. We saw such hatred by the Democrats for Donald Trump. They impeached him twice, once while he was president and once when he was not president, which I never understood how you could impeach a non-president, but, but they did anyway. What, what, what I'm wondering about, John, is that will the Republicans have the tenacity to go after Joe Biden in an impeachment investigation the way the Republicans went after Donald Trump or the Democrats went after Donald Trump? Well, what's interesting about those impeachment inquiries is both of them themselves were cover-ups. When you go after Donald Trump for Russiagate and you have the information that everyone that is participating in that is not only financed by Hillary Clinton, but it is a Russian agent. And I mean that. Glenn Simpson was working for the Katsiv family. Steele was working for Oleg Deripaska. You go on down the line, everyone associated with the uh, investigation was a Russian agent. And supposedly they're blowing the whistle on Putin as helping Trump? I don't think so. <laughs> I think it was just the opposite. So they got the stories exactly wrong, both in Russiagate and Ukraine. They're impeaching Trump for not helping Ukraine enough because he delays some uh, weaponry for maybe a couple weeks. Maybe not even that. He says he's going to do it. Did, did he really do it? I'm not even sure there's evidence that it really was delayed. But the story was completely wrong. Now we have a situation in which there is probable cause, I will say that, a reasonable cause to start an investigation. The way I would do it, Dan, is I would not start out with an impeachment inquiry. I would use one of the organs, one of the organs of the Senate to, to launch a full and fair investigation. Okay. Now, one of the problems we've got is we do not have a special counsel. There should be a special counsel for this because if I would say that maybe an investigation involving Joe Biden involves a government official and that his attorney general may not be completely uh, free of bias since right. he serves at the uh, of the president. And that's the precedent from Watergate. That's the precedent from the Mueller investigation, from the investigation of uh, Scooter Libby and all that. All of this shows that, the, and, I'm, and I've read the Justice Department guidelines, you're supposed to give a special counselor. I don't think that's going to happen because everybody's biased and the press will not yell for one. But here's what I think should happen. You should have a Senate investigation that uses subpoenas and gets facts. And if there is from that a fleshed out case, then I think you open an impeachment inquiry. Now, I'm hoping, I'm hopeful that Biden's not as corrupt as he seems. And, but I would, I, I hope that's true. And I hope he's just acting idiotically, which is a, a reasonable alternative explanation for things. Absolutely. But so it could be that. But I, I think what we're going to find is if we really dig into the finances, that Hunter's doing an awful lot of financing, that Joe probably has some 
uh, hidden interest in a lot of these things. How many shell companies are there? We have no idea. How many LLCs are there out there that own things? You don't hear anything. You don't see anything. These things are on file different places. Does the, do, does the press dig these things up? We need subpoena power. And so uh, I think I do not want to do the same thing the other guys do. I do not want to do the same kind of biased investigation as occurred in Russiagate or in the Ukraine deal with, with Trump. I want there to be solid facts. And if there's not solid facts, we shouldn't go forward. We should not be as bad as the, uh, as, as the Democrats. But uh, I do think that <laughs> I suspect there's a lot more here than there was in either of those two investigations. John, we're, we're out of time. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Tell our audience how they can follow your writings and what you're doing. Well, if you go to my site, postgatebook.com, postgatebook.com, you can see the write-up for my book, Postgate, but a bunch, I maybe have 50 articles on there that I've written. And then also my podcast called The Mysteries of Watergate, which explains in easy terms what Watergate was really about. And I take, take everyone through some easy to follow chapters and vignettes of things that they've never heard of that is really fascinating. That's the Mysteries of Watergate podcast. You can get that on postgatebook.com. So all of this is about, I'm doing this, I'm not making money off any of this. I'm doing this for the reasons you and I are discussing. We have a real problem with our democracy and I'm trying to do something about it maybe. I'm, I'm <laughs> maybe I'm like a lot of people that uh, maybe I don't have that much an effect uh, on the major media, but I'm sure trying. And we're sure trying also. And thank you for joining us today. We'll have you back real soon. Dan, thank you. Hello, this is Dan Perkins, co-host of Black and White Network, here to tell you about my latest book, Sad Eyes. This is a story of Mary Margaret Murphy, our red-haired, green-eyed, gorgeous Irish lass born in Waterloo, Iowa in 1916 incredibly capable and talented woman who wants to make the world a better place. She knew at a very early age she didn't want to live in Waterloo, but she knew what she wanted to do and she wanted to be a nurse. She did her homework and found the best place to learn to be a nurse was in Chicago, Illinois. Side Eyes is her adventure, growing and maturing in the face of adversity to become a very powerful voice in the American military during World War II. But it's also about her personal life and finding the love of her life for a fleeting moment. Sad Eyes is available at hollismedia.net, amazon.com, and Barnes & Noble, and through your local bookstore. Enjoy the read. Thank you for listening to Black and White, where your opinion counts. So join us next week for fair, open, and honest discussion of the issues that are important to you.